0: Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Brandon Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento Podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Telsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's show. My name is Will Gray. I am the co-founder and general partner at Atento Capital. And I'm pleased to have with us today on the show co-founders of Vault, Martin, and Matt. Welcome to the show. Vault is the first messaging ops platform for software companies building into the SMS space. I'm excited to have you guys. Good to Thanks be here. so much. Give us a little bit of background on, on who you guys are as, as people and 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 just your, your journey to Tulsa to kick things off.
2: Yeah, I guess I can jump in there. So yeah, originally uh, met at OU. Uh, so none of us are really from Oklahoma. Um, Matt from Pennsylvania. I'm from Norway. Uh, but met at OU by chance, uh, was equally as passionate about startups, figured that out as we were kind of met randomly at a party, I think. Decided to just do kind of a startup weekend together through Techstars and ended up dominating that one. Uh, So, oh yes. (laughs) So, won some co-working space through that and ended up doing a couple different projects together. Figured out that we worked really good together. Um, And yeah, like fast forward two years after we had done a bunch of projects and I think it was like 24 altogether it was an absurd amount of projects Um, we then decided um, kind of from a need that i was experiencing at work to start a text marketing company called RespondFlow, specialized in building uh, relationships with customers um, automated but feeling completely personal Uh, and started that bootstrapped together living in a house in okc Basically sacrificing nights and weekends uh, just growing it. Uh, that was our entire hobby and life. We had for a little
3: dashboard year. in our little lobby in our uh, living room. It was super funny because we we're all just clustered on a desk, and <laughs> she has this big dashboard. It's super Silicon Valley pre like dot com boom. Pretty funny. And <laughs> yeah, we felt really official. Uh, we, did.
1: <laughs> we did. We did. It's awesome. Uh, so, guys, give us tell us what Vault is today, and then I want to and then I want to start kind of from the beginning and really go from response flow to where. Where we are today, but but give us a sense for what Volt is today and who you're working with and what you're hoping to achieve.
3: Yeah, I'll take that one. I mean, right now, we're mostly a platform that helps people building into the SMS space optimize their SMS deliverability. Big thing we learned after building RespondFlow is that as you grow up as a software company and leveraging in your volume for SMS, there's key things you have to build to manage and optimize that. And we realized everyone from the big players, from PostScript, Attentive, all these big names if you looked at the category, need to build these things and varying levels of quality. And so now we're just taking these internal tools that we've had to build for Respond Flow and leveraging that for their companies. So that includes analytics for SMS, knowing why didn't my message deliver? Because as you know, like Martin said, there's a really strong channel with SMS, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't hit the inbox. And so we're allowing companies to get a better uh, look into their analytics and then also streamline that whole process so that they can worry about only just sending text and performing.
1: Yeah, and that is what what an amazing discovery to kind of figured out that this is a need for customers. Um, uh, but I think what's so interesting about your journey is that you, know, you started in a place that was tangential to this, and now we're here. Uh, take me back to take me back to RespondFlow. Uh, I really want to I really want to dig into how you know you landed in Tulsa and what you learned through RespondFlow, like what it was like working in a startup in the city of Tulsa and and then really kind of how you discovered um, what you have today with Volt and and then we can kind of go through the rebranding story and where we are today but take us back to Response Martin
2: yeah so I guess um, yeah like I guess I started this through just a need that I had uh, at a medical device startup uh, that I was working at at the time straight out of college um, and like as we were building it it started kind of just small started just like hey Like, maybe we can just make a simple interface for this just to solve it purely for this company that was at. Um, And quickly realized, like, well, this problem seems pretty just non-unique. Like, this seems like something that would be an issue for any sales team, uh, not being able to build those customer relationships and having to have a lot of human error on the sales process by not being able to automate it. Um, And as we got that out uh, and launched... Um, saw almost instant revenue and profit within two months, and continued to grow organically without any sort of paid ads. Really, just walking door to door, like literally walking door to door, for the next year, basically. And throughout that process, we uh, came across Thunder Launchpad and met with Erica and Chris there, that was running it, um, and just decided to apply because why wouldn't we? There was uh, we didn't really have much of a community outside of our little. Uh, like little house that we had in OKC, um, and figured it would probably be good for us to talk to more people than just the floor inside the house, right? So,
1: I remember meeting you at the Thunder Launchpad event here in Tulsa. Maybe just, Thunder Launchpad is an accelerator program in, in in Oklahoma City. They had the they had the uh, the the demo day, if you will, here in the city of Tulsa. And I remember uh, meeting you guys for the first time and 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 thinking, wow, these guys are pretty gritty. Uh, um, I think living all in the same house. Um, and you moved to Tulsa and you took the leap of faith. What, what, what was, why, why the confidence in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Atento Capital?
3: I think at the end of the day, Tulsa is a great place to really start your company. I mean, when you think of people building companies in the coast, it's super expensive. The pandemic was just starting. And so to be in a, in a place where you couldn't even see people face to face, you could really grow your company anywhere, but the benefits it's the local community. You get the introductions from Atento that we got, you guys played a huge role early on, just helping us. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just a cheaper, more affordable and comfortable place to really test and iterate. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you're doing to start with. Because like you saw with our journey, there's always going to be pivots and testings along the way. But it's just a very safe and comfortable place so that you can feel like you're living a quality of life. But at the end of the day, feel free to test and iterate and really be creative with your solution.
1: You know, every time I walk by your guys' office, there's something fun going on. Uh talk about the culture you've built and and you know, were you intentional about it? it, it feels like uh it feels like a a fun place to, to work and be, but I mean, talk about the culture.
2: Yeah. So um I mean, this one I gotta give uh kind of credit to the director of Holberton. Uh, so Libby kind of told me this, I think about like two years ago. Um, which was never higher for culture fit, higher for culture value add. So that's been something that's been pretty central with us. Um, I mean, otherwise we would probably still just be um, some stingy people in a house together, <laughs> instead of having an office with some some good culture pushes and also two uh, great office pets. We have uh, Thor and Loki. Uh, Thor, our uh, little beta fish, and Loki, the the snail. So uh, <laughs> if anybody ever drops by the office, definitely have to say hi. Um, Feel free to feed. Them. feed them. I've never met them. Oh, you gotta meet I've them. I gotta come by. You gotta them. meet them. <laughs>
1: Be intentional about that
2: time. But yeah, so that, that I would probably credit it to that.
1: And what's it been like scaling a company? Like hiring people is not easy. Um, in in thinking through culture ad, not just culture fit. Um, but you know, kind of allocating responsibilities and letting go of certain responsibilities as 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 you scale, what's that been like?
2: It's been tough. I mean, we were extremely fresh coming into this. I mean, this was the first real startup for, for both of us. And I mean, it was the first time that we had to truly hire and vet and be fully responsible for somebody's career, right, on that standpoint. And we've always wanted to help and been very clear that like, Hey, we are hiring people where our dream for them is that they can leave in two years because they felt like we were transparent and open enough to teach them about startups that they felt like they were empowered to start their own. And then we could just invest in those companies and help them, right? So um, that, of course, is is hard to do. And I think it comes from the fact that like we worked so well together since we were so entrepreneurial that we were looking for the same. And then coming into a situation where you actually need specialists. You can't just have generalists for an entire company. Um, and finding the balance of that has been, it's been tough.
3: But we in on there that now. Too, uh... I mean, back to, we don't know what we don't know. We're first-time founders, we're pretty young. So we're still developing our skill set, our understanding of how to run a business, how to deal with people. And so at the end of the day, it takes a lot of trust. Like, honestly, if you don't know anything about that specialty, it takes a lot of trust to hand the reins to somebody else. And I think early on, especially for a first-time founder, it's understanding what to look for in a, in a hire, not just culturally, but performance-wise. Can I trust them to get the job done? Can they be value-add on the culture? And for someone who's really just out of college, it's really tough to kind of gauge that. But I think that's what uh, you guys have been really helpful with, with the recruiting and helping us qualify and write uh, good job descriptions. And so at the end of the day, it, it definitely takes a lot of trust to give up those responsibilities when you don't really know what the lingo or the, the mindset needs to be of that role.
1: So I want to add on this topic a little bit and ask the question, you guys are young, first-time founders, but you've been at this for a couple of years now. you you know, it feels to me like turning into kind of wily vets here uh, a little bit. And so what advice would you give yourselves or other founders who are looking to, you know, build a venture backable company right now?
2: I mean, take the first jab. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's, uh, kind of goes through a longer stories. I'll, I guess I'll let you go first. (laughs) Oh man, balls in my court, but I
3: guess, uh, thing advice I would give myself or somebody else who's a little bit younger in their journey. I think a lot of people have this, uh, fear of failing, not because they aren't capable, but because, uh, they think they need to listen to advisors and people who know best because you have this kind of almost like uh, imposter syndrome. But I think the thing that you realize as you go through this journey, whether it's you're a specialist or not, is that nobody will actually know how to solve the problem you're solving for better than you. You just have to weed through all the noise and maybe get some advice on how to think about problems that don't change. But when it comes to building your company, you will be the only one to actually know how to solve the problem you have to be true to what you believe because at the end of the day, nobody's doing this for you. And so you really know better than anybody else. Just take the information from advisors as a grain of salt, but find the ones that actually do align with what you believe and carry it through.
1: That's an awesome piece of advice. I think it's similar to the advice that you know I've heard it said. Psychiatrists sometimes say... You know, the best psychiatrist is ultimately yourself, so that's 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 wonderful advice, Martin. Anything to add there?
2: Yeah, I would say. I mean, this is kind of the one that goes into a longer story, but okay. uh, like I feel it kind of really exemplifies the whole ideal on advice being like, don't look for anybody to give you permission. Like, you don't need permission, hundred percent, and especially when you're a young founder, everybody will doubt your skills. So the only way to prove them wrong is to literally go out and do so and get the numbers on the board. Uh, one of the the things that I think was the most uh, defining moment in our origin was this was still while we were at the house in OKC. So kind of put yourself in our shoes. We had just been building this company for just about a year and two months, and we were uh, not originally thinking of raising capital, but since we went through the Thunder Launchpad, pitched and got introduced to uh, all the investors, Michael Bosch and, and you as well, and got to start talking about like actually going full-time with this, um, we, we got really invested in that. And we were ready to go ahead and raise the capital. And I think we got done with diligence. We had just about half a million lined up for our first uh, pre-seed round. Um, and we we're more or less done with the diligence rounds. We were waiting on a email just to confirm that everything was ready. Um, And it was Friday before a decision deadline on Monday. Um, I was waiting for that email as I was in the office uh, of the startup I was working at at the time. And we got the email through. And the email said, so sorry, but we will not be able to do this round due to COVID. Uh, right now, we have to invest in the companies that we have uh, from uh, the, the, at the time, what we thought was going to be our lead. And of course, I was planning on stopping by the liquor store and buying champagne for the guys. <laughs> and for us to celebrate that weekend, uh, instead coming home, uh, bought some whiskey, sat down and told the guys to sit down, uh, share the news. And I mean, all the guys, of course, got distraught. We, I mean, two of us had already quit our day jobs, and was fully ready to just go all out. Uh, so, and one of the guys even just like walked out. Was like, "Hey, I just need some air. This is too much." Um, so I told Dean, like, "Hey, let's like meet back up tomorrow morning. Let's talk about this. Like, we started bootstrap. We can continue to be bootstrap. We have enough money now. We can split it. Let's figure something out." Um, wake up that morning. Fully expecting to have everybody still be in bed because we didn't really talk that much that night. We were just kind of pretty sad. <laughs> and walked down just to find all three guys standing there by the whiteboard, already having gotten coffee, being like, hey, Martin, come here. Let's let's talk through this. Let's figure this out. And within that next four hours, we had raised another $375,000-ish from uh, angels and other investors and friends and family and got to call back Atento and say like, hey, like this deal is still on. Like we we figured it out. And uh, yeah, I think that really just goes to like, don't quit if you still believe in it.
1: It feels like in, you know, watching startups, uh, there's always something urgent that needs to be done. And that sounds like a really great example of of uh, you know something important needing to be taken care of. And what is it that you're working on today that's really important and how are you guys approaching it?
2: Yeah, so I would say right now, the biggest thing is to, kind of take a different approach than what we originally did with Respondflow. Um, With Respondflow, we went a solution path where we were very sales-led. We were basically just trying to listen to what the customers needed, what integrations they needed, whatever rejections we got on holdbacks on sales. With Volt, it's been a complete different approach. Now it's basically taking our time, listening to the core problem that's there, and then finding the right people who have that problem, but that is also willing to let us be the ones to solve it for them and then coming in sort of with a blank plate of a product and it's not going to solve all the problems for them but it's a start and then hearing from these market leaders these massive companies that are now just like wow i love that you're solving this for me because i hate doing this manually we're wasting 13 hours a week just downloading mdrs reports and going through logs and if you can just simplify this for me like this is worth a lot of money so suddenly we get these amazing, talented individuals that have dealt with this issue for like 10 years because it's been an issue ever since CPAS really got invented by Tulio back in 2008. And seeing the passion that they have to help us build a product that we can sell to them, it's just a world of change. I think so. to chime in on this one too, it's
3: uh, in, a, in a different way of saying it, we we've, we've basically were just hawk, uh, hacking away at trees all day. We had a forest of like a thousand trees we kept trying to hack away, thinking we need to get all 1,000 trees. But then instead of doing that, we sat down. It's like, here's the problem. Here's our customer. Let's talk to them about what they really need. And then we fine-tuned, we sharpened the axe. And now we're like, okay, we can cut this specific tree really well. And now because of that time and uh, instead of just selling and blindly trying to follow revenue, which I think a lot of young founders kind of fall in that trap of like, oh, I need to get to this goal and I need to get to 1 million, 2 million, 10 million ARR in like two weeks Uh, We're really taking the approach of slowing down, talking to customers, really knowing the pain point better than they do. And so by the time we talk to them, we have a solution that they really resonate with and that really solves the problem. Because I think where people mess up is that they see, oh, these companies with 10, 20 million ARR, 100 million ARR. But it really doesn't matter because the way to get there isn't just selling. It's by creating a solution that really solves a problem. And the only way to do that is understand the problem better than your customers.
1: Guys, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about the Tulsa ecosystem. Matt, I don't know if I know anyone that is uh, a bigger social butterfly across the ecosystem (laughs) than you. Uh, You know, I always walk into the 36 Degrees North uh, incubator space and and see you uh, connecting connecting with everyone across the floor and really across the city. Talk a little bit about the closeness of the ecosystem. I mean, the camaraderie, um, you know, what's been your experience?
3: Honestly, great thing. If you ask, it'll happen. Because at the end of the day, gates are low. People want to help. It's a, it's a city that loves itself in the best way possible. And even people that aren't from the city that are being flown in through Tulsa Remote or other programs, uh, they're really falling in love and buying houses here. And so everyone has this weird vested interest to grow and expand Tulsa because everybody wants everybody to succeed. So if you have a question, if you have a problem, like even in our Slack with 36, type in a question, you have like eight people right there to help you and willing to get on a call. No questions asked.
1: That's great. Uh, you guys hang with the other other attentive Portcos? Of course. Oh, what's, yeah. what's the
2: relationship like? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, uh, we even have like a, a WhatsApp group, I think, now. Yeah. It's like just uh, kind of drop in events, stuff that's happening. Just like if there is a beer night at a hockey game. Like most people probably wouldn't go to a hockey game out of the ones that wasn't that group, but Spencer from like, uh, from, yeah, from Supervisors and from Canada loves it. So I was like, yeah, let's just go to a hockey game. we all just rally up and go out. So
1: Martin, you just reminded me, uh, we have some founders that aren't from the United States. You, you are one of them. What's, what's your experience been like as an immigrant building in the U S
2: I mean, it's been tough. I mean, I could talk for lengths at that. Uh, ended up, um, I mean, going through the full journey. Came here for school, so F1 visa. Then you kind of get one year of working afterwards. Was on that. Since I was at a startup, there wasn't a lot of resources to make sure that they could get the sponsorship right. So I actually ended up getting deported. Uh, the, the visa expired, so I had to leave. So not forcefully, but I left on my own. Um, then I had to start a company in Norway to be able to even get back again. But I think the fact that there was so much push and support from the venture community here, and also coming to a place like Oklahoma, where there wasn't historically a lot of venture capital uh, for startups, um, that has now actually helped me be able to get the visa that I currently hold, which is the O1, uh, which is, uh, if you're not familiar, it's like kind of probably the most coveted one unless you have a green card. Uh, Because it helps you make sure that you won't be just like denied entry. It's literally called an exceptional person. (laughs) Like it's literally exceptional person visa. But it is a little, it's a little sneaky because it's based on the capita of the state's kind of percentile. So I got to apply due to the fact that we were a venture-backed startup here in Oklahoma based on being the top 0.1% of like, like people in Oklahoma in racing capital. And that was something that I think if I applied from San Francisco, I would have never been applied. So,
1: got it. And you've just reminded me on something else. I mean, you're certainly not the first company in Oklahoma to have raised this kind of capital, but but you are early in that process for for the state of Oklahoma. How's that been? How, what's your you, you've how many? VC firms on the cap table today and and how's that process been?
2: Yeah, so right now we have uh, three institutional investors, so three venture capital firms. Uh, so Atento, of course, uh, Cortado Ventures, both of which helped us for our first two rounds and then now being led by Mercury. Uh, so uh, all of which been extremely supportive uh, and of course helped us get where we are today. Um, and I would say like it's, we we probably got in at a very opportune time because we, as far as I'm aware, we I think we were the first direct investment for Atento and the first direct investment for Cortado. So as both Atento and Cortado was established was when we were ready for our pre-seed. So, I think it's crazy okay. too to add to that
3: point how lucky we are. Just talking to people as we were going to Thunder Launchpad, uh, even retroactively with a couple of founders that we've been talking to recently, they have been telling us, yeah, before you guys, Atento and Cortado and all these other VC firms here, it really was a wild, wild west. You'd go to an angel investor and get these weird terms that you'd be like, no actual real VC or like SaaS company would ever accept these terms. It's, it's really bad. And so people coming in here wouldn't know any better though. And so I think what's amazing is that right now is almost like a foundation of a trusted source where you know that the term sheet aren't going to be completely against you. And so I think more uh, strategic capital is being deployed, which is super awesome. But I think that's a, uh, it's just the first step at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, you touched on something very important, Matt. Um, and, and to be fair to the angels in, in the area, it is kind of an educational issue. Yep. Uh, it's maybe not to say that the angels are are um, you know looking for a one sided deal, but just what does a what does a typical right. market deal kind it's, of look it's what like? They're used to, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean it's
2: interesting, it, with like uh, one of the deals that we're hearing about now, it's like with a lot of the angels also in syndicates here being very used to asset heavy investments into oil assets, whereas, for instance, getting a rig set up or anything, the structures they're doing right now ran into a founder that was currently trying to uh, raise that got those terms kind of offered to them. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that would make you unable to raise venture capital next because they would kind of own the assets or own it
1: fully and then vest it back slowly, 100%. So it's very curious. You guys will always have a special place in my heart because you are the, you, you were the first direct investment, uh, that we made. Uh, and you're also the first example of a company that I was able to raise follow on capital. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, the Mercury who's also in our, in, in our fund of funds portfolio, uh, got to know you guys and, and felt like these, these are, they agreed with our view that these are underwritable founders, and this is a space that we want to attack. And so, uh, and not to mention Sean McCroskey and I having uh, spent a couple of weeks uh, at what Two was three. then.
2: Yes, unforgettable. Respond flow,
1: uh, <laughs> and had an amazing time as an employee of Respond Flow. Um, and that um, goes to show like- i that I got the... kicked out of the Slack, but
2: uh, <laughs> if you want back in, just let us know. Uh, we'll invite you back in. At least you got a t-shirt to memory by. But it's, uh, no, that I mean, that also goes to show kind of how far Attento goes to support his portfolio company. The fact that we were ready to really validate a huge gap in the market where there was a lot of uncertainty and there wasn't time for us to hire team members to be able to really aggressively grow it. So what did you guys do? Literally just took off for like two to three weeks, you and Sean, and implemented yourself inside our company. and was Actively working with us on reaching out to people. You're so. reaching out to your own funds.
3: I know Sean literally went and did cold email outreach. This yeah.
2: dev for us is like
3: <laughs> that's a lot. I, I think know, lot official of titles
1: were, I think we were SDRs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very important role. Guys, yep. um, I want to wrap with a couple, you know, kind of fun questions. Um, but one one also kind of an important question that maybe other founders could uh, could take away. You're, you're so focused on building this business and there are a lot of important things to do within the business. How do you guys identify skill sets that you need and, and how do you sharpen those um, kind of outside of the day-to-day?
3: That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I know for me, uh, I think everybody has something unique that they add value to the world. Like everyone's uniquely positioned to solve certain problems. And even in the function of a company, like a certain role, and so I think uh, the way that I've traditionally done it is that I have certain goals of exiting a company one day and how can I affect that? And at the end of the day, I figure out what are the things that I need to one-up in my skill set to really get there, whether it's sales, marketing, product, operations. And so it's just systematically learn and you realize, hey, there's stuff that I'm not very good at and you got to accept that.
2: Yeah, it's really just filling weaknesses, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, weaknesses and what like, you absolutely dread to do. Exactly. <laughs> those are really the two things because you know you're going to be at least as founders like the most important thing that we can focus on is what we're the most impactful at doing so for instance I mean accounting like can do should I do no <laughs> so it's like for especially finding those people then it's like okay well how can we go out find okay. somebody that is a perfect fit for us for that so I mean, that's a pretty clear one. It's probably harder when you talk about like specific types of marketing and and everything else. So you can go pretty deep there, but it seems pretty like kind of straightforward of a premise at that point.
1: And then another question, similar, what are you guys doing as founders of a startup company to manage stress for yourselves and for your team?
3: (sighs) Hobbies, I guess. Oh yeah. Honestly, there was somebody who told me that if a founder does not have a lot of hobbies, what are you doing? Cause you have to be naturally curious. Uh, But for me personally, it's just music, yoga, meditating, and doing anything to have like a second life out of your business. Cause you are living your business all the time, but you also have to figure out a way to exit it and just be your own self without the stress of your goals, objectives, and just have a whole nother separate life where it, that doesn't cross over.
1: Speaking of hobbies, Matt, I've, I've heard one of your hobbies from, from uh, Alex Schneider, a bottle that, that disc golf is, is in that. Is it is in that realm. I've yet to see you um, on, on the course.
3: I'm I'm ready for the pros. You know, um, I'm training
1: heavily. Good, good. Martin, what about yourself?
2: I would say, I mean, I, I take a different approach. I'm, I'm an absolute geek when it comes to fintech and trying to like <laughs> hack like credit card points and stuff like that. So like for me, I find a lot of enjoyment in that. I mean, that's how we ended up like social hacking $34,000 daily harvest credits, right? So that's why we have free smoothies up at the incubator now. So it's like small stuff like that. I feel probably at a deeper level is just finding something that I can be successful at so that I can see progress Whereas bigger goals with the company might take months or years to see, looking backwards, oh wow, that was a lot of progress. But in the now, it's hard to see that immediate. I find that immediate satisfaction with with credit card points.
1: <laughs> Great guys, I want to leave maybe with uh, one last thing. Um, uh, what? Who's your biggest inspiration in the startup world, and what, like what brands, apps, uh, builders in, in in the world are inspiring you today? Oh man.
3: Uh, I'll talk. start with the app and I'll go to some, I guess uh, a company that I've been really interested in, but definitely I'm a personal belief that there's a lot of companies that do the same thing, just slightly different. But I think the one product that's really changed my life has been superhuman. Like, honestly, I hated Gmail. I was not a power user, but just the way that they've positioned their product and their experience. Like I feel like a genius at email now without even having to try. So uh, always, always tote their horns, uh, but I guess uh, inspiration when it comes to founders or uh, companies, I'm always interested in uh, what micro Choir is doing. It's a, it's an interesting idea of being able to bootstrap and uh, sell companies uh, and create a a better way, a more transparent way of selling a company as a bootstrapped, uh person, uh, just more in this kind of indie hacker community, which is very curious to me.
2: Martin. Yeah. I would say uh, probably an app that I absolutely adore would be, I mean, it's, probably a tie between now Brex and Dealer Digits, where it's uh, with Brex, of course, they were kind of one of the few ones that could give us a amazing uh, kind of credit uh, limits as well as helping us with our kind of simplifying the finances and everything and centralizing in one place. Digits more so kind of feeds my interest in fintech where it's uh, trying to completely automate the needs of a CFO. Which is a big undertaking. And I think they've been now in pseudo stealth for five or six years and raised like up to Series C, I think. And they're still not like onboarding their revenue. So it fits more with like where, like obviously we're gaining revenue in the meantime, but fits more with like kind of our current uh, philosophy. And then inspiration, I would say uh, Samir, uh, the previous CEO of uh, SendGrid, Um, super inspirational when it comes to how he leads. Um, probably the one person that I've witnessed go the furthest when it comes to servant leadership and almost go into the point where it's like too far for some. Um, but it has such a massive impact on culture and uh, I can only wish to, to become that myself.
1: Well, very good guys. I really appreciate your time today. This was fun. It's been amazing to watch you guys in your journey and uh, I really look forward to continuing to watch the progress and being part of it. Likewise. Thank you so much.
0: (music) Thank you everyone for tuning in to the Be Atento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found, Make sure to subscribe or follow and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Atento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Atento.